Hey everybody, what's going on? Welcome to Screen Speak, the podcast is all about movies, life, and so much more. I'm Jordan Anderson, I'm the host of this thing, and I really, really appreciate you coming by and checking out the podcast. I'm going to get the plugs out of the way as I usually try to do as early as possible in the episodes. So go ahead, follow and download episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, which that's the most recent edition for ScreenSpeak. Go ahead and do one or th- all three of those if you, if you want to. Though it'd be actually a little bit strange if you did that for all three channels, honestly. I mean, it'd be great, but a little, little strange. Uh, you can also follow the podcast on Instagram. It's just simply titled at ScreenSpeak Podcast. So you can te- uh, you can check that out for uh, just some cool content, teasers for future episodes, and other movie related nonsense. And then the very last plug is that you can check out the YouTube channel, just titled ScreenSpeak. Uh, that'll put up some short sound bites on there and eventual video support. Maybe even for this episode, we will see. <laughs> okay, so the plugs are officially out of the way. So let's just go ahead and get into it. So with me is a very special guest um, in a, joining me virtually. Sorry, I, I admit this is uh, this this virtual size is a bit new to me, but Adam Wall is back. Adam Wall's back. Hello, Adam. Greetings, everyone. The technological age is here. The technological age is here. You don't even have to be in the same room as me. You can just be here and we can have a glorious conversation. Um, actually, I'm, I'm honestly, Adam, I'm gearing up for this episode to be uh, a bit on the darker side, if I'm being honest. I agree, dude. I think this is yeah. This is a sad movie. This is this is going to be intense. Yeah, yeah. But I I am glad that you that you actually turned me onto it, or at least recommended it, because I had heard about Roadrunner before you and I had talked about it, but I, I I didn't really, I guess, have like a compelling reason to watch it. But hey, you know, I got a podcast now, so now I'm like, oh, I can watch it, talk about it. There we go. Um, but anywho, so let me, let me run through what this movie's actually about. Um, just kind of go over some of that and then we'll, we'll get into the meat and potatoes of this. Oh, so Roadrunner, it's a film about Anthony Bourdain, who was a, a, a famous celebrity chef is probably what he's most notably known for, but he was an author, cultural commentator, um, just overall television personality. I would say, I mean, the guy was a lot of different things. Um, but anyways, it's a documentary actually, that is all about his, his life and and fame. And of course, um, what eventually ended up happening to him, which was him taking his own life. Um, but yeah, just, it follows the life and career of, of him. And I don't know. I mean, I, it's a, it's a pretty authentic look, I think, at, at him from what I can tell, but anywho, uh, before I get, before I get, you know, too far into it, Adam, I'm curious just because, you know, you recommended this to me. What do you know about Anthony Bourdain or did you know him like before the suicide or after the suicide or I, I, I'm just curious. So my experience with this movie was I knew nothing about Anthony Bourdain before I went into this. Mm-hmm. I, when I watched travel channel as like a kid, I watched man versus food. I watched flavor town with, uh, What's his name? The flavor guy. You know what I mean. I do but not. You don't know <laughs> no. what I mean? No, um, I, I don't Frosted know. Frosted Tips guy. Uh-huh. Who's the Frosted? Oh, no, the, the, yeah, I know. The blonde Frosted Hair Tip guy, right? Big spiky hair. Yeah. The Bobby, now we have to, Bobby something? We have, 
We have to look this up before we continue. Yeah. This is ridiculous. Guy Fieri, Jesus. Guy Fieri. I thought it was yeah. Bobby. Yeah, Bobby Flay is another celebrity chef. But yeah, Guy Fieri. Okay, I know who that yeah. is. So okay. I watch. I watch shows like that on the Travel Channel. I never really watched Anthony Bourdain. My parents never liked it, so they always wanted to turn the channel whenever mm-hmm. he was on because you'd always be smoking a cigarette or swearing or something along those yeah. lines. So, so I never, I never really watched him as a kid. I knew who he was, and he was kind of more popular when I was younger. So I didn't, I didn't really know him too well, but. I got turned on to this movie because apparently it had pretty good reviews. Mm-hmm. This is actually the first movie I saw in a theater coming out of coronavirus. Really? So it was, it was honestly, it was a very good uh, movie theater experience. We got the popcorn. We got, mm-hmm. we got the whole shebang. And I saw it in the theater and it made me realize how much I fucking love theaters, dude. Cause it's like, it's such yeah. a good experience and being able to fully immerse yourself in the film. Like I was able to, by going to the theater instead of just like watching it and streaming it at home. Oh, such such a big turn on. So this movie, honestly, it had a very big emotional impact on me just because A, it's a very emotional movie. And then B, just my first time back in the theater and being able to fully immerse myself in a film and having that film experience. Like I really wanted to talk about this movie. So I'm glad I'm glad you were able to watch it, Jordan. We could talk about yeah. it. Yeah. I regrettably I can't say that I watched it in a movie theater. I'll be honest. I, I watched it on a streaming service and yeah, it, it would have been great to see it in theater. And I actually I actually think it's cool that you actually took it upon yourself to actually see a documentary in theaters in particular, because it's not to say that a documentary is not a movie, but for a movie theater, I feel like the average person is probably not going to go out of their way to go and see a documentary, especially these days with what's going on. Um, but that's that's really cool. Um, yeah. I, I'm curious, was there a lot of people in the theater? No, it was this it was this all theater in downtown like it's kind of like north of downtown in Minneapolis. It's called St. Anthony, Maine. It's mm-hmm. awesome. It's a fantastic theater. It's like a theater. They have like a film club there. They play local movies. They do all this like it's a fantastic theater. I'm glad I support mm-hmm. them. But it's also it's also stupid cheap too. It was like seven bucks for tickets and a giant thing of popcorn was only like six bucks or seven bucks, which is like Yeah. I don't know what movie I honestly I don't know what movie prices were before but I thought it was a pretty deal so it was it was a really good experience overall it was like I guess yeah Roadrunner isn't really a very like well-known movie it's a documentary but they they show weird movies at the theater in Minneapolis so I mean I don't know if I'd go as far as saying it's like a weird movie I mean I get what you're saying it's not again like a a mainstream title and again I just think even you know 10 years ago, people probably didn't really go out of their way to see documentaries in theaters. Um, but I don't know, I guess like in, in my circles and just being the movie buff, you know, that I am, uh, I had definitely heard about this and I knew it was actually in development, I think like a year out from, from when he had, you know, done the deed, which mm-hmm. I, I did uh, double check that before this episode, he did it on, on June 18th of 2018. So it's been, uh, it's been I, three I, years now. I guess, yeah. I guess yeah. it doesn't. It doesn't seem like that. I mean, it seems like he was here not that long ago. But oh, yeah, it's, it seems pretty recent. Um, I mean, they over... have a lot of film of him, so it makes sense that they yeah. they were able to make this movie pretty quickly because it's just like that was one of the things. Like, you couldn't make this movie with many people, but the fact that there was constantly a camera on Anthony Bourdain made it so yeah. much easier to portray his life. And it's kind of interesting too. Maybe, maybe I'm going, I'm getting a little ahead of myself here. I'm getting a little ahead of myself here because I'm You're talking fine. about the movie. But I, Anthony Bourdain specifically, like, starts his professional career. And they talk about it in the documentary. He starts, mm-hmm. starts his professional career 
when he's like 47 or 48 or something like that. I think 43 technically oh, okay. is like when he got like his, his break with Kif, uh, kitchen confidential, but uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, the point is in his forties. Yeah. So that's, that's really when they started throwing the camera on him and you kind of, in watching this movie, you kind of realize, wow, the guy just had a camera on him constantly because the yeah. film is honestly very fluid for the fact that they didn't know they were making this movie in the first place. Well, sure. Um, yeah. They have very good. I thought they have very good interviews of people. And like at times, there, you know, like you could definitely tell like he was dead when they started making this movie. But not many. I don't think you can make this movie with just because there's so much there's so much film of Anthony Bourdain out there. So. But, yeah, um, I mean, obviously, for like just the sake of making a documentary, I think, you know, clearly it helps that he was a television personality. And so therefore, there is not only the the episodes, of course, that were debuted on television, but you have all probably this extra footage and, and stuff from behind the scenes and his own life. So there's literally just a wealth of material, I think, that obviously you could dig through to make something like this. Um, so just overall for the documentary as itself i mean i I take it you did like it i i honestly really did like it and Mm -hmm. i liked it in a way where it made me think a lot about my own life and maybe there were definitely parts of the documentary i felt could have been better edited like sometimes it jumped around a little bit Mm -hmm. and like it was a little bit jarring some of the sections like especially near the beginning it was kind of jarring to me figuring out exactly how the editing was working and how the interviews kind of took place. So it was more the movie structure that I kind of had issues with at times, but I thought the subject matter as a whole was presented pretty well. And I thought it was presented in a way where it made me think a lot about my own life. And it made me think a lot about, you know, Anthony Bourdain as a person and just seeing him as this very complex person and understanding a little bit more about him. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about this guy beforehand, but I, I was very interested in him and who he was as a person by the end of it, just because yeah. I thought it was portrayed very well. No, I I, I mean, I, I echo a lot of your sentiments. Um, I mean, I, I you know, to just to keep it simple, I did like this documentary quite a bit. Um, I've, I've watched a number of different documentaries. I, I don't think I've ever like really publicly talked about a lot of them because, again, I, I mostly feel like I talk about like, you know, movie movies. Uh, but yeah, as far as documentary goes, it's definitely one of the more memorable ones I've seen. And I think it has good subject matter. And obviously with a character, not a character, but just the real life person that is Anthony Bourdain, I feel like the documentary does a good job at showing how much like in the gray he was like with his life. I think he was always like in a battle between light and darkness um, and, and sadly, you know, darkness or whatever you want to call it um overtook him in the end but what what i guess i'm i'm kind of curious about is uh you know just i want to talk about the man like let's talk about the man himself you know i said in the beginning that he's a chef he's a writer cultural commentator television personality a world traveler did you know Um, him pretty well like did you know anything about him because you were older than me when he was more like famous i think yeah honestly his fame for me was between like 2005 and 2015 yeah last like three or four years i honestly had no idea what he did yeah no i i'm i'm trying to think because i i think similar to you i remember just like seeing his face every now and again on tv i don't i i'll be honest i never watched uh you know no uh, no reservations or parts unknown or, or any of the other shows he he did i i regrettably can say I, d- I never did it i could always go back and revisit it i suppose but yeah um i think i was just more familiar with 
like I would hear his name and I knew that he was in like that celebrity chef club, if you want to call it, you know, Gordon Ramsay, Guy Fieri, we talked about Bobby Flay. I knew he was somebody that was in that world, but I knew the unique thing about him was his world travels. Like he's the guy on TV that would go to India to eat something really strange and talk about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I always actually just on the subject of like trying different foods and whatnot really quick. Uh, I always find it very ballsy of anybody that's ever able to go to such a different place and try something that, I mean, unless the guy has like pristine plumbing, yeah. I, I, I would be afraid to try certain foods because Just, like, I'm like, I don't want to mouth and hope, but hope it works out well kind of thing. Yeah. Like I don't. Yeah. Cause uh, there, there were definitely some parts of the movie or some parts of the documentary where he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm now about to eat turtle. And the man just literally just sticks it in his mouth. Yeah. Like you gotta, you gotta have confidence to do something like that. And I just, yeah, I, I, I have the same problem. And like, mm-hmm. I wish, I, I wish I was better at trying new foods like Anthony Bourdain is, but it probably comes with practice, you know, like he's done, he's done for so long that he's just like, Oh, is this a pig testicle? Bam. Right in it goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I suppose after a certain amount of years of doing it, it's not to say that nothing would surprise you, but yeah, I mean, you're certainly more adventurous and open to doing it, especially when it just, it does make for uh, compelling content on television. Um, I, I, I want to talk about also just, you know, how he found his fame, because I think his story from what I learned in the documentary, it's just very interesting that a man didn't really get, I mean, he didn't really become like notably publicly famous until his, his forties. You know, he had been a chef in in a New York restaurant, I think, for a long time, had a number of jobs in the restaurant industry, I think, before that. But I don't know. I mean, what do you think about somebody that ends up finding fame later in their life as opposed to earlier when they're younger? That's a tough question, because it's like, yeah, I think I think a good question to ask is like, at what age is the proper age to like suddenly become incredibly famous? Is there a proper age? I don't know, because like I think another example that I think of is someone like John Mayer. John Mayer didn't become famous until he was 23. So he was my age. And then suddenly he's one of the most well-known people in the world. Mm -hmm. And I think. I don't think there really is a good age to be like, oh, now I'm suddenly famous. I think no matter what age, I think people cope with it differently Mm -hmm. Um, because you just become a completely different person, no matter who you are, no matter what age you are, you just like change. And like you saw that kind of through John. I don't know if you know much about John Mayer, but John Mayer is like kind of a weirdo in a sense. But like he's still kind of normal at the same time, too, because you could tell he's like lived a little bit of life not being a com- like a completely famous person. Right. And I could sort of see the same in Anthony Bourdain where he's you could you could tell he's a chef where he yep. like he has very similar mannerisms of as a chef where he's kind of an asshole. <laughs> He's aggressive. He's yeah. artsy. He's all over the place. He's doing all this stuff. And he plays that well. And I think him being famous at 43, honestly, hmm, I don't know. It's tough to say really whether it hurt him or helped him that he was 43 yeah. instead of 23. I don't, I just... I don't know. Yeah, I, I think from my own perspective, I mean, there's a lot that you could unpack with you know, when is a good time to be famous or kind of what fame does to you. But I think for him, what I found interesting and and through the documentary, I thought was interesting was that I think by like the time he, he got public notoriety, you know, the guy had 
you know, kitchen experience, but then he also had, uh, you know, a heroin addiction. He was addicted to the drugs and Mm -hmm. he had, you know, he had gotten clean and, you know, got his life on track with, you know, namely kitchen confidential. That was his big, uh, best-selling New York times memoir that came out. And I don't know, like for me, it's, it's hard to imagine actually him, like if he would have been famous earlier, would he have been the same, like in his career, like when he started, I I don't think he would be because I don't know. Like, I feel like they, his fame kind of came at the right time in his life because he had enough season practice with his profession to mm-hmm. have an interesting take on it. Yeah. Uh, and, and I also thought that kind of like what you said, um, the, the, they, they didn't, you know, mince words about that. He was an asshole sometimes like he, he oh, yeah. would rub people the wrong way. He was pretty blunt with his opinions. And, you know, I think obviously that probably served him well as a chef in, in the kitchen and whatnot, but as a television personality, I think that that kind of raw, authentic, uh, not giving a shit attitude, uh, I think it translated well. And the fact that he was in New York and that scene and, and you know, that's that's a very specific food scene, I think, to be in. Yeah. Um, I don't know. There's just a lot about him that like I, I you know, he's a lot more famous for more than food. That's kind of yeah. what I'm trying to get at. That's a good point. Do you think do you think it hurt his love life, though? Here's another question, because he I think he only had one wife that was like the only girl he's been with for like 20 years yeah and I, I don't he remember gets what, famous yeah and then i think it's like two or three years into him being famous is when they divorce finally like do you i don't i don't i hate to say that him becoming famous mm-hmm. ruined his love life but i could honestly see it well it sounded like see things like traveling all the time and yeah. things like doing all these tv shows and everyone knowing you would kind of affect that but maybe maybe i'm wrong there maybe i'm no i i mean i think it i mean i'm look i mean fame not even really just fame but like with his case he traveled the guy i think he said it a couple times in the documentary he was on the road like 250 days out of the year and obviously that's going to do a toll on your any type of long lasting relationship that you want to have both romantically and you know just platonically like with your kids or something like that which he did talk about you know he didn't really even see himself being a father for for a long time because of his his life and his yeah. lifestyle um but I, I i guess what i to answer your question on that um it probably didn't help him but at the same time he he even admitted when he was younger that you know he was all messed up on drugs uh, he had a lot of debt, uh, pretty impulsive person. I mean, I think he had a lot of aspects of himself that even if he wasn't famous, he probably would have had a hard time keeping a meaningful relationship. I'm sure he could get into one because he's not a bad looking guy. He's got intelligence. He can cook food. He's got some stuff going, but yeah, the guy was kind of a point. basket case, I think, for a long time. I don't know. Yeah, That's a good point. Um, this, it, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. I. I want to talk about the the just his his love life his relationship because the documentary does talk about that um in in particular i thought it was interesting when they were talking about his relationship with the actress later in his life uh asia argento i think is her name oh geez yeah um, that was that was very yeah. interesting i honestly i didn't know anything about that but it was i remember i heard them dating but i don't really follow like that gossip tabloid stuff like it's like oh big deal you're dating somebody like uh yeah it sounds like it sounded pretty toxic even from the start of like yeah i don't know they just i feel like if i was 
I don't know. It's it's tough because it's like he's such an intense person. And he's such an asshole. Yeah. But if I was like a very close friend, I'd be like, what are you doing here, man? Like, what are you expecting to get out of this person that is 30 years younger than you? That is an actress that is has a different life perspective than you do. And maybe maybe there was love and maybe there was something there. But I feel like they're quite different people. Yeah. And you could I don't know if it was the documentary itself that maybe laid it out of the fact that she was the one that kind of sp- sent him off on the spiral at the end. Well, I don't know enough about Anthony Bourdain to whether to say that was actually the case. I think the documentary was mm-hmm. trying to portray that. And what were you go ahead? No, maybe. I just, uh, I, I was thinking that from what I could tell from that, cause I agree. I mean, I think when they introduced her in the movie, you know, they talked about obviously her involvement with the Me Too movement in its early days and how he hadn't really been like public about any type of political position like that, which I I mean, not to say that Me Too is a political statement, but, you know, in, in, in our day now, everything is almost taken as some type of a political statement. Oh, yeah. Um, no political statement is a political statement. Exactly. Us saying that as a political statement. <laughs> um but no, for, for her, I mean, yeah, I think the documentary was clear that it's up for your interpretation to to see what you think. But I think ultimately it was saying that she ultimately had hurt the 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 reputation of parts unknown. You know, I think she like they said that she like directed a couple episodes, maybe, and like just kind of messed things up with the production and, yeah. and kind of got in his head a little bit. I don't think I really don't think that that's ultimately what caused his stuff. I, I think um honestly kind of synopsis uh, or synopsis isn't the right word uh but connected to the title but roadrunner the guy was i mean it's a good title for the documentary for a reason i mean he literally traveled but i also think he was running from a number of demons within himself yeah you know? he, he had no home he had no comfort place so he just kept being on the run the whole time yeah trying to run away from all his depression or all of his problems whether that be being a poor dad to his daughter or feeling like he mm-hmm. was or whether that be being poor being in a bad relationship or whether that be not enjoying his work even though people say he has the best job in the world you know right. i think i think demons like that are very tough to deal with and i think you're that is a i i never got that connection with the title before but you're right where he's like he's just constantly on the road and he's just constantly running away from yeah is it his life no matter and like he he's had issues before becoming famous too so it just seems like yeah maybe it was a way to cope with things even and well, like and also uh the the title's perfect because they i think it's early on in the documentary but they have that freaking badass song roadrunner by the modern lovers i think is the title i listened to that song oh, yeah. now a couple of times since listening to the documentary because i I'd heard it before <laughs> i mean i'm serious like i heard it before but i'm like shit i'm like this song is this is a this is a good song and it really fits i think his vibe so i mean good <clears> on the filmmakers for making that connection and just making it work i, I thought that was cool yeah dude nice now let me ask you um i want to talk about food because it's impossible to talk about anthony bourdain without talking about food oh yeah for your for yourself adam uh what are some of the uh what are some of like the craziest foods you've tried and and where were they at when you tried them 
craziest foods I've ever tried. Yeah, or tried. just at least, or at least memorable. It doesn't have to be like you know an octopus or something. It can just be a memorable food experience. Did you do the pork tongue experience in Czech Village? Did you ever do <laughs> no. that? Or? No, I've but not. It, and like elementary school, maybe this was a public school thing, but they'd always take the elementary schools to Czech Village, and they would like we'd go to all the different buildings and explore them and learn about what they did and learn about Czech history and all the stuff. And there would be the butcher and the butcher would have all these different meats and he'd offer a pig tongue to people. And I had pig tongue once and it was pretty bad. I think I was a kid though. So it was kind of hard to say that like, yeah, it was good. Really? I don't well, know. What, well, what do you remember about it? Like specifically? Uh, it had a terrible texture. The texture uh-huh. was like, it was just fucking awful. It was like uh, gummy. But not, 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 not in a good way. Like not just, in a like, good way. No. Like chewy. Can't gummy be in a good way when it's a meat? I feel like I feel yeah, like it can't be. It was not. it was it was disgusting. It was terrible. So yeah. that was one bad experience I've had. I've honestly I'm not a very like trying new foods is something I'm trying to work on as a person. If anything, yeah. honestly, I am not very good at trying foods and trying weird zany different stuff. That surprises like, me. Oh yeah, no, dude, I'm terrible. I'm I'm I am the like my staple is mac and cheese, quesadillas, bacon. Like I, I, I stick to my foods. Like ba- lately, my 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 food schedule, Jordan, has been. Uh-huh. I go. I, I I got a Costco membership for myself because I like eating the same thing over and over again. So right now, all I have in my fridge is turkey, bacon, bagels, cream cheese, spinach. And that's it. And then I just make turkey bacon sandwiches and I just eat that to myself. And then I have yogurt and cheese sticks for lunch every day. And I do that consistently because I am not an adventurous person when it comes to food. And I wish I was more adventurous because every time I try something new, especially as I grow older, I'm getting more like confident in myself and like confident in that other people are, if they're making me something, it's probably pretty fucking good. Yeah. And having, having that confidence is really big in trying new foods. So it's made me like reach out and try a lot more foods than I did even like high school. Mm-hmm. But I'm honestly not a very try new foods kind of guy. So I, I don't, I don't know if I have an answer to that. What's your answer? What, what are some weird foods you've tried Jordan? Well, first, okay. Pig tongue is still a pretty good answer. My friend, I pig think it's not bad. Pig tongue's yeah, not bad. It, it's not bad, but I also like, I like just hearing your first, uh, your perspective on, on foods and, and, you know, just admitting that you don't exactly go out of your way to try a whole bunch of different stuff. Hello. Wait, who was that in the back? Was that was that? my girlfriend. All right, we got. Let's get her podcast debut. Where is she? Get her. Get her over here. Sophia, get over here. We <laughs> gotta make a podcast debut. Yeah, let's let's see. Where is she? Oh, that's Sophia. Hello. <laughs> oh, your podcast, and it's fascinating. You do a great job. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> she wants. She wants to be on your podcast at some point, Jordan. So. Oh, she's welcome. I need guests, so yeah, come on. Okay. He said you should come on at some point. Yeah. This is, this is really awkward. You should. You <laughs> it's good to see you, Sophia. Thank you for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Tell your friends. Tell your friends, Sophia. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. Um, how, how's she doing? Just un- unrelated. This has nothing to do unrelated? with Roadrunner. Yeah. My, my girlfriend, she's doing well, dude. She's the one that yeah. went and saw Roadrunner with me. It was her okay, idea. I was going to say, like, I wanted so... to make sure that you didn't go solo. No, yeah, I didn't go by myself. I went with my girlfriend. It was her idea. It was a fantastic idea. It was a, it was a great movie. If it was like, her, yeah, it was a, it was one of the first movie. Here, here here's something pretty. Yeah. This is insider information, Jordan. But this is one of the first okay. movies that made me cry 
in a long ass time. Really? But it oh yeah, dude. Like the part where they're getting to him committing suicide, it's so heavy. Yeah. And I just I don't know, dude. I, I was just thinking a lot about my own life as I was watching the movie. Yeah. And I've I've had struggles myself with some of the things that he's talked about. Sure. And some of the things even the documentary describes. And it just I don't know, it hit me hard. So I, I, I really think... I really like this movie. I, I know it's probably it's probably not the best documentary I've ever seen, but it right. hit home for me because it hit me personally, I guess. So I don't it's know. a well-made documentary, and I think even you know, whether you have your own personal demons or you have had uh, a loss of a family or a friend due to suicide or something like that. The subject matter alone is, I mean, it's compelling when someone makes that decision to do that. It is a very compelling thing to talk about. And it, it makes for a story, especially when it unfortunately happens to somebody that's in the public light, like Anthony Bourdain. But um, we are going to get more on that subject a little bit later yeah. on. We, we got distracted. What, what's a, what's food. Interesting food you, yeah. What's the yes. interesting food you have tried? So I will, I'll say, uh, yeah, I'll say two stories off the top. Um, so one was actually in Chicago in, in 2019. Um, uh, I, I was, I was there, uh, for a work related thing. And, and after like everything was done for, for this event, um, me and some of the other people from the conference, we went out to some restaurant. I, I wish I could remember the name of it. Uh, but it was really cool. It felt like a, it felt like one of those like trendy places. Like I'm not super familiar with Chicago, but it wasn't like in the heart of downtown. It was like kind of on like the outskirts of it, but it was still like yeah. very modern and, and where all the hipsters are. Yeah. Yeah. Like okay. if, if there was like a fedora, it would have met, it would have shown up like <laughs> it, it, it would have been there. Okay. Um, but anywho, we had this great table outside and there was like a dozen people and, you know, there's drinks and food and, and it was great. And then they bring out this huge fish, this, this really big fish, like it's got its tail on it and everything. So like, you can wow. like, it's, it's a big one. Um, I don't know what kind of fish it was, but I just know I'd never seen like it looking like so fresh from like the sea to my plate. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, like it looked like they barely even fried it up. It's just like, that's a fish, you know, straight out of Lake Michigan, I man. I don't know, but <laughs> What ended up happening is like everybody at the table kept getting caught on the eyeballs of it because it had like it had its eyeballs like still in it. Like it was like, you know, it's like it's it's like like it's looking oh, at me, God. like you know. Um, and anyways, at that point, I admit, you know, we were having a couple drinks. And, oh god. And, and and one of the people there was just like, ah, like, you know, like I like would anyone actually eat the eye? And like I was just like, I'll do it. <laughs> you know and oh no short well and like and and no one but no one believed i would do it they yeah. they didn't they didn't think i would do it because like they were they were big eyes like they, they hit you with the no balls they hit yeah, you with the no balls they but... hit me with that but then i was like no no i'll do it and then the person that initiated this they actually offered to pay me they paid me a hundred dollars to do it you got paid a hundred dollars to eat a fish eye yeah what the venmo. heck uh, th yeah through venmo this is through a <laughs> professional conference you went to uh yeah it was a con yeah yeah i'll just yeah a, a, a work related yeah yeah that's interesting that sounds <laughs> but, like a good time dude well i i mean i'm not gonna ever share it like here but there is a video of it i have it if you ever want to see it because i almost throw up <laughs> because, oh it, uh, because it tasted so bad and i actually ate both the eyes because that that was the that was the deal in order to get the money is that i had to do both what and does first, it taste like well, well hang on so the oh, first okay. one i had like I think they let me like just get away with like swallowing it as quick as possible. 
you know yeah. and then Just the other the one yeah but the other one they're like if you want that money they're like you gotta like chew on it for a little bit like really like savor the flavor oh god dude anyway the taste it's it is hard to describe because when you're when you're having something like that it's like the texture is impossible to ignore like yeah. it's it was super slimy and it definitely didn't taste good like I, I don't know. It, it tasted like mud or dirt or something like that. But the the, yeah. the, the grossest part about it, and I'm, I'm sorry for the listeners if this is too much, <laughs> but I still remember to this day, like the first eye when I took the bite in it, it was like it like pussed like in my mouth. Oh, God, dude. <laughs> Trigger warning. Jesus. That's I'm terrible. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Like it's like it's eyeball goop was just like, Bleh. and I was oh, like, my oh, oh. Uh yeah, that that are was. Glad, a, are you glad you did that? Was it? Yeah, oh, a yeah. good experience. Yeah, yeah. No, like the people that are that were in that group, like they they will forever remember me as the fish eye guy. Like that's that, you'll that forever still... remember what fish eyes taste like and what they what they the texture is of them as well. It's true, but I felt I felt I felt good about it because at the end of the day, I'm like, okay, even if I like hack it up and it's like super gross, this makes for a good story. Yeah, like, exactly. It, it, it is a good story. Um, and then the second one I would say was actually, uh, the first time I went to Brazil, um, I had tried a chicken heart, which that's not like super exotic, like down there, but like, you know, to, yeah. to me, like to that's me, that's, that's pretty, fucking crazy, pretty, yeah. pretty nasty. Um, but no, the, the interesting story with that out, not the chicken heart was, uh, they eat goat in Brazil. Oh. They, eat, they eat goat in certain parts of Brazil. And we were at a restaurant that their speciality was goat. And, yeah. and Isola, she ended up ordering this, uh, I don't know, it, it, if you hadn't have known like what it was, it would have just like looked like a stew, you know, just like a little bowl, like it, of like stew and, and oh it looked gosh. good. It looked appealing. Right. Yeah. And so I was, I was eating a couple of bites of it and I was like, mm, like, you know, this is, this is pretty good, you know? And, and she's like, Oh, like, you know, I'm, I'm really doing a bad impersonation, but she's like, Oh, like, do, do you like that? I don't know. She has, she doesn't sound anything like that. Um, <laughs> But but it was funny because I was like, why is she like making this face? I'm like, this is just a you know, it's normal food. It's just like meat in a dish. And she's like, do you want me to tell you what that is? And I was like, oh yeah. well, sure. I'm like, I'm like, you know, what is it? I've already ate like half of it. And then she spilled the beans that that bowl I was eating was like mashed up like goat intestine and like kidney and like liver or something like, and it's like all chopped up in the bits and like like. Ugh. Oh my god, dude! But did that the, taste good? It did. I'm not gonna lie. It tasted good. Yeah. Like and, and I guess like some of the people there, like they it's kind of like 50-50. Like people either love it or they hate it down there. But yeah. if you it's like even even after she told me what it was, I was just like, Well, I'm this far into it and I, what, I didn't think it was gross. So I'm like, oh, I keep eating it. What would you describe it as a cl- what's a close meat relative to goat to, intestine? Well, I don't know about goat intestine, but just goat as a whole, like it's it feels like it's a drier meat. Like if I could, okay. I mean, I don't, I'm not great at like describing meats, but yeah, it's like okay. a dry, it's, it would taste like a dry, like ribeye or a steak or something oh, like okay. that, but it's not, it's not bad. Like actually like just regular goat meat. It's actually really not that bad. It's, it's, it's not, I have no idea how they prepare good. them though. I, I gotta, not. I gotta come down to Brazil, try out all distinct foods. Well, you, def- you definitely like going to. to going to new countries is where you can really be like, Oh yeah, here's we eat um, you know, I don't know, it's something weird. Jellyfish 
down here and yeah whatever well have but, you uh no. so i got have you go have you tra- well have you traveled outside of the country i've gone to like mexico and i've gone to like canada oh no not really i wouldn't say to any sort of like proportion where the culture is completely different like mm-hmm. most of the time when i travel out of the country it's been in a culture that's similar to mine and i'm not out of my comfort zone i would say mm-hmm. and that's something i want in my life so i'm definitely going to be doing it soon probably next year because coronavirus is still like all around i was gonna like my original plan was to go to europe last mm-hmm. year but coronavirus knocked that out so i'm trying like literally as i can and as soon as like reasonable and i can find someone to go with me like i need yeah. I really, I really want that like cultural shock experience. I've, I've never had something like that, so I don't even know what it's like. Yeah, how would you I, describe it? Yeah, I mean, I would. It, it actually it leads me kind of into the next subject that I that I had for this was just talking about the importance of travel and and specifically to a place that you are not familiar with, like you said, kind of culture shock. Um, mm-hmm. You know, prior to me being engaged, I don't honestly know if I would have gone out of the country. I mean, I, I always, I think I always liked the idea of it. And I, and I always like had like my bucket list of places that I'd like to go, but you know, obviously being engaged with someone from there, it makes it more of a compelling reason to. Oh, it's like, yeah, it. I, I'm, I have to go to Brazil now. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean the first, the first time. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was a whirlwind honestly. Cause like first I went there in, in 2020 you know, mm-hmm. arguably during like the height of the pandemic, like it wasn't in March, but like, I think I had left for there in like in May or June, uh, oh, okay. I to go back and double check. But I just remember like, there were so many people that were like worried for me, like going yeah. there. Cause they're just like, Oh my God. Like, cause like you said, Europe was like closed and all these places were shutting down because of the travel mm-hmm. bans. Um, but Brazil, it was, it was actually kind of goofy. They were, they were letting me go, but they wouldn't like let people from Brazil come to the U S but yet I could come back. So it's like, well, what if I'm like a COVID carrier then? Like, oh, I, I, you know what I mean? Like, it's just weird. Yeah. It was near like the start where like the government had no idea what was going on. No one knew what was going on. Yeah. It was, it was a little chaotic, like just in that sense. And like just mm-hmm. traveling internationally with like that being like in the air, just, I think made it a different experience just from a travel perspective. Yeah, uh, but no. As far as the culture shock, like I still remember, it, it it was probably like flying over Sao Paulo, which is the first like destination I had to fly into. Mm-hmm. Like I just like you know I looked out the plane window and like I could just see like all this like you know close packed housing, like not quite like favelas like in like Rio de Janeiro, but pretty close to it. And it was just yeah, you know, so massively different from what I'm used to seeing. And, oh yeah. And I just and remember like not like, seeing English on signs and stuff like that is probably yeah. also just, that would throw just, me Well, off. I just remember like I saw those buildings for the first time and like I, I think I like said out loud, I'm like, I am in South America. Like I'm yeah. actually not in like North America. Like, you know, like I'm like yeah. I'm really far away from home. Like especially compared to like the Midwest. Because like the Midwest, oh, yeah. we are so like sheltered culturally oh, speaking. Because we're we are like home people were stick to our guns. We're very like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I've grown up in the mess with Midwest my whole life. I've lived in the Midwest my whole life. Yeah. And like, it's honestly, there's a cultural difference living even in like the Southwest or living in the South compared mm-hmm. to the Midwest. But I've just, I've lived in the Midwest. I've like known the Midwest for so long mm-hmm. that I'm sure going to a different country is going to be, or it must've been just such a cultural shock and such a like, yeah. Oh my 
what the heck is going on right now? I, you know, I think the, to, just to, to finish wrapping up on like talking about the cultural shock of it, like probably what was most apparent to me was actually like, I mean, again, I go back to the buildings, the, the architecture alone is just so vastly different than how, you know, I'm used to seeing buildings here, even in like bigger cities. Um, yeah. They have a very specific way of, of of building things there. The materials are different. There's a lot more like tile flooring uh, in a lot of the places that you go to. And then, of course, yeah. uh, I think just like their businesses, too. I feel like there's a lot of areas in Brazil that have like really small, tiny shops. And I mean, like tiny, like they're all like mm. really packed in closely together. Uh, and there was just so many different things like that, where it's like you just pick up on all these like little things that you that you don't think about. Yeah. And then. I know, I mean, I could keep going on this, but I'll, I'll say like the, you know, just the fact that a, like in Brazil alone, um, you know, they don't have clean water for the most part. Like they have to get like uh, big jugs of water brought to them to like drink out of and, and they have to keep replenishing them like that. Uh, most places don't have hot, wa- like hot water. Um, there, there's wow. certain places that do, but it's like. There, there's just so many different things that I think ultimately the biggest shock of the culture or whatever you want to call it is like you just gain a deeper appreciation for the things that you do have and mm-hmm. also realize that wherever you live even if it wasn't america like you're not the center of the universe i think that's oh, yeah. that's what i would say definitely dude no that's that sounds like a fantastic experience and it makes, I, it I makes me want it. it makes me it makes me want to do it so bad so next well, year it, next it, year it, Jordan, it, change, I tell you it what. changes you it, i yeah. mean it does change you i mean and i think does, for the better does does going to Brazil make you want to go to other places? And like, where yeah. where would be the next place you want to go? Uh, would you well, go even more crazy? Do like Thailand, or would you hmm. go to Europe, or where 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 would be your next location? There's a lot of there's a lot of different places. Uh, the three that come to mind off the top is is one Japan. I've always wanted to go to Japan. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and then New Zealand for Lord of the Rings stuff. Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm a nerd at my core. Uh, yeah, and then actually the the one I the one I really like to go to that I feel like not a lot of people do want to go visit is uh, Greenland and Iceland. I I would oh. really like to go to both those. I've heard Iceland tickets are really cheap too, where it's pretty easy yeah. to get there. So yeah, and dude, it's not like there's Iceland- like the most things to do there. It's just a really scenic, beautiful place. Yeah, and I've heard it's just unbelievably beautiful. So. Dude, would that like would that go. would be super cool. That sounds awesome. Where would you want to go? Honestly, like I I I would say Europe, but I feel like I would want to do more Eastern Europe than I want to do Western Europe. Like if I were to go to Europe, I would pick I would probably start in Germany as a hub just because mm-hmm. probably like the pretty similar to America, but then I want to go to like Budapest. I want to go I want to go Eastern Europe big time or do like Cro or Estonia. You say, or I'm sorry. Like you say that. you say Croatia. Yeah, dude, Croatia would be sick. Where's Croatia? I've, like I have heard, uh, I've heard of it. I, I don't. I don't know. It's in Yugoslavia. It, it's mm-hmm. kind of. It's the country that basically took all the coastline of Yugoslavia. Okay. So it's it's very beautiful because of that. So very Mediterranean kind of place. But I want to go to places like that, or maybe even like Greece, if I were to pick Europe. Mm-hmm. But then I'd also I also really want to do Southeast Asia at some point in my life. There's a lot like, of I, places, man. A lot. I want to just I want to just get on a flight to like Thailand or get on a flight to Vietnam and have no idea what I'm doing and just figure as I go and I get there and just like totally culturally shock myself. Mm-hmm. It's on my bucket list for sure. I don't I don't know when I could do that, but that's definitely also one of the first places I'd be looking at if I'm going to well, if I'm going to have that sort of experience. 
I mean, since you haven't traveled internationally, I guess, like, have there been places that you have traveled to that you, you know, you do, you know, you felt impacted by, by going? I like when I travel, like lately I do national parks. Like that's something my parents have always done. Mm -hmm. Like they just, they love national parks. They love seeing nature. So they kind of instilled that in me. So when I go on trips and I go on road trips, I usually go national parks or I go to mountain ranges or beaches or something like that. Like I'm a big nature guy, Jordan. So I like, I've gone to like probably 20 national parks at this point. And like a goal in my life too, is to hit every national park at some point in my life. And I think one of the greatest things about America as a whole is the national park system and the park system as a whole. Um, An interesting story is when I went to Canada Canada has sort of a different national park system than America does. And it's very commercialized and it's kind of off-putting in a sense too. Cause I went to Banff area. I don't know if you've ever been, ever heard of that area, but no. it's basically giant mountains, beautiful lakes, um, kind of a ski resorty area. though is a thing where it's like, you're in the middle of this beautiful place. And then there's a giant man-made built cabin right next to a ju- beautiful lake with mountain ranges and it kind of, it honestly kind of threw me off a little bit because I'm so used to America where the beautiful place, like it's filled with people sometimes, but they, they do a very good job of conserving like national parks as a whole and conserving our beautiful landscape that America has and the diverse landscape that America has. Mm-hmm. So good on America for doing that, I think, because Canada, Canada's got some work to do. Canada does have like very beautiful national parks. You just kind of go, got to go to the ones where there's less people. So like Banff, honestly, Banff isn't really my favorite. If you go farther north to like Jasper, Mm -hmm. there's a lot less people there and it's pretty much the exact same views and it's a lot more beautiful and a lot less commercialized. So I like, I like places like that, but so that, that, that's an interesting cultural difference, I think, between even Canada and the United States, which isn't very like, they aren't very different at all, but there's still that slight difference there, which is interesting. So. No, I, I, I like hearing about that. I mean, I've always known, like, you know, just ever since I've known you, you've always been in the nature and, you know, parks and, and hiking and camping and, and those kinds of things. And, and I mean, that's another reason why I like you, sir, is because you actually like nature and support it. So, yeah. Jordan, we got to go camping at some point, dude. I would love to go camping. I haven't done camping before. No. And I mean, I know for myself, I haven't been like legit camping, like, you know, tent sleeping bag, like on the ground and years, years and years. Really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. yeah dude. I, no, I'm we got to go sometime. No, some people, yeah. Some people are not camping people, but my parents just kind of raised me that way. And yeah. I've kind of, I've done it a lot more since the pandemic has started. Like I've really ramped it up since the pandemic started. Cause I'd have weekends and it's like, Oh, there's nothing to do. Mm-hmm. And Minnesota has beautiful parks. So we just like, go north and there's just like you don't even need reservations or anything like that you could just go in the wilderness and find a camping spot and hang out with your friends so i like i'm a that. big I'm a, I'm a big i'm a big camping guy if i <laughs> if i travel that like that's what i like doing i like avoiding people and going in the middle of nowhere which is a bit different than what anthony bourdain does i think but yeah well and 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 that's that's you know kind of something i wanted to talk about too is just you know with him i mean he is on record for a long time saying that you know he had the greatest job in the world you know he got to travel and see all these interesting people and places and i do think that i mean i'm not i don't think he did not not mean it i think he did mean it i think for a long time that he was satisfied and he did that but then 
I don't know. Ultimately, I, I I do wonder how much he actually was happy with doing it. And, and the documentary alludes to that, too. Um, in particular, one of the tough scenes on there was when, you know, I think it was uh, David, David Cho or. Oh, yeah. Too. I, I, uh. he, he was he was talking how he's like, yeah, he's like he emailed me like out of the blue, just being like, hey, like you're doing pretty well and happy and healthy. Like, are you actually happy? And I don't know, I guess going back to to you, I mean just personally for yourself this is where we're going to get into some you know heavier subject matter i'll be honest yeah. uh i don't know no, i, I mean, got wh- how do you, yeah go ahead go ahead when i when i watched this movie one of the big things that i got out of it things that hit me the hardest was and you alluded to it where they he talked about him living this life of traveling and living this life of doing all this crazy stuff and then still not being happy and it gave me this realization of like, I like, if I'm not happy in my life, I blame it on the fact that like, I'm not doing enough cool shit or I'm not cool enough. Right. I need to go travel more. or I need to do this cool new thing, blah, 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 you know? Mm-hmm. And it kind of made me realize watching this movie that like he romanticized his life so much to the you point say, where I'm he's sorry, doing you say, all- romant- you say romanticized. Yes, because yeah, like he would yeah. like he does all this really fantastic shit, but at the end of the day, I don't think doing all this fantastic shit of traveling and seeing all these cool people and meeting all these interesting people and doing all these cool things doesn't that's not the solution to being happy, I don't think. That's mm. not the solution to having a happy life. And for me personally, that's what I thought it was, honestly, yeah. before going to see that movie. But looking back on it, it's so much more complex than that the being a happy person and living a happy life. Cause there's so many people who don't go traveling and do all these crazy things and live perfectly happy lives. Right. So that's kind of what hit me hard because I always just thought I could solve the problem, not being happy with going out and traveling or doing some cool new thing, mm-hmm. but it's so much more complex than that, you know? And I don't know. Well, how would you define happiness? I know that's like the million dollar question for a lot of people, but I mean, do you yourself, I mean, do you know what makes you happy? I don't think I do. I don't, I think it's different for each person. What makes them happy? Like, yeah, I know, I know things that make me happy in life and I know like what I can to maximize my happiness and not just sit around and be depressed all the time. But like, I don't, I haven't gotten to the point in my life where I'm satisfied with my life and Mm -hmm. gotten to the point in my life where I'm like, okay, yes, I've done it. I've, I've officially got this whole life thing. I'm I'm officially a happy person. I've, like I I haven't, I haven't reached that point personally, and it didn't seem like Anthony Bourdain ever reached that point either. And he lived he did all these extravagant things. So I think there's more to it than just meeting new people and traveling to being happy than that. So well, and that that was my definition of it honestly, or one of the big parts of it beforehand was experiencing new things. Yeah, but well, I, I think- don't think that's it. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, you're good. I, I I think Anthony Bourdain, you know, just from everything that you see in this documentary and just about him. I mean, I talked about the clever title Roadrunner and, and how it applies to him, but I think somebody like him, he strikes me as what I would define as a seeker, you know, a, a seeker of truth, a seeker of meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, I, I think my interpretation of him or, or kind of how I view it is that like you said, he, he was able to 
to fulfill a lot of desires I think that he had through through travel, through food, um, you know, even through drug use at one point. I mean, he 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 drank quite a bit, and you know, he actually smoked. Uh, yeah, he smoked. Constantly. Yeah, he he smoked a lot. You know, he 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 lived a hard life, but then um, he was an extremely hardworking guy too. I think he valued that in a lot of different people. But I guess going back to happiness is that it it felt like. I don't know. I guess at the end for him, like it felt like he still didn't really like feel like he had like true meaning, I guess. Like he, I don't know if he was really feeling connected to the meaning of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if that makes sense, but I guess like, you know, this, this is where I'll identify happiness for like myself is, I don't know. I don't know if anybody truly has that figured out. I don't know if I believe it. Even if somebody tells me that they're like, ah, like I'm like super happy, like all the time. I'm like, you know, like, yeah. are you, are you like, I, I don't know if I believe that um, because I don't know. I think, I think we're always searching for, for happiness. We're like, we're searching for that next thing. We're, we're searching for another experience. We're searching for um, feeling connected to something. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think what, what pains me about, about Anthony Bourdain is that, you know, despite him having a lot of these, no doubt, you know, profound, profound life experiences, whether it's, uh, you know, auditory experiences or sensory, uh, you know, it, it experience takes a lot of different shapes and forms, but, you know, ultimately I, he, he must've had something eaten in him pretty, pretty badly that none of those things would, would sustain it. And Mm -hmm. I don't know, I, I guess like for myself, um, I think experiences and and travel and and trying different foods, meeting different people. I mean, I think there's certainly a lot of enriching qualities to that, but I do think true real happiness is ultimately something that you find within yourself deep down. And Mm -hmm. for myself, I have to, I have to feel a sense of purpose or connection or emotional attachment. I feel like to something in order to truly get a, you know, those, those brief moments that we call happiness. So, yeah, yeah, huh. yeah. I, I, I completely agree with you. Like, you can, there's all these external factors, but really, like, true happiness at the end of the day has nothing to do with any of that. And it's really, it's, yeah. it is really more about this complex that is you and finding purpose in you and working with external figures, whether that be a relationship or traveling or whatever it may be. Like, that stuff is important, but being being a happy person finding purpose in life is more than that yeah and that's something that's something that's hard for me to grasp because it's something i'm struggling with and i don't don't know jordan it's tough it's it's tough to say i i need to find purpose in life within myself but i i personally don't know how to do that it's like ah shit i run into this issue Anthony Bourdain ran into the same issue. Not saying I'm Anthony Bourdain. Like, no, I, I understand. Definitely not as de- I'm definitely not as depressed as he is. But some of his issues that he had, like I could see in myself sometimes of just like a lack of purpose, yeah, or a lack of like I don't know finding finding the true reason to be living. You know, I know for you know I I can speak to myself. You know, of course I can only speak to myself. I I don't like to try to pretend to know what other people are feeling inside. Uh, especially with a subject like depression, honestly, uh, Adam, because that takes on so many different shapes and forms and some people's depression runs real deep and you, you could be around someone 
that seems perfectly fine. And then before you know it, they they're going to, you know, end their life for various different reasons. You, you just never know, I feel like. Yeah. Um, and, and and what was the thing that you just said? Because I, I was actually going to tie something directly back into that. I want to make sure I don't forget. I don't remember <laughs> what I just said. Yeah. I don't know. I do have a point to make, though, that I think yeah. depression and the treating of it is so difficult to treat. And it's hard to treat oh, even yeah. with like your friends and different people just because our minds are so fucking goddamn complex. And yes. everyone deals with it differently. Where, where you said before, like someone you don't even know they're depressed. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly this all comes out at some point. And like every single person deals with it. There's so many different things that go into something like that. And it's tough to deal with. And I think we are, we're all battling our personal battles at the end of the day, some more than yeah. others. And some are battling them better than others. But I remember what I was going to say. Depression's a tough thing. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I, you know, I was going to say just, you know, for me, um, I think I, you know, I'll be very open when I say that anxiety for myself has been something that has it's been an ongoing struggle. I mean, and, and I realize you're like, okay, like, Ooh, like, you know, big whoop, you're anxious. Like everybody is anxious. I mean, every single person out there has anxiety about things at one point or let another. it be known. I am not saying that. Let it be known. I'm not saying <laughs> no, no, I, I, under, I understand that, but I know for myself, uh, you know, you watch a documentary like this, you can't help but you know, relate some of those deep internal feelings of conflict back to your own experience. And yeah, I mean, I, I've had times where if like my anxiety gets like really bad, I will have thoughts that run through my mind that'll, you know, sort of put me in like a weird state of like feeling numb where I'll kind of just like ask like, you know, like, like, why does this matter? Like, is there mm-hmm. meaning to any of this? Like, yeah. like, who cares? Like, this means nothing. And sometimes those thoughts, honestly, like they can, it, it, it can become a you almost get like out of body, like an out of body experience when they get like really bad because you're realizing how powerful that like they are. And like, it's actually like controlling, like, you know, your actions and like how you're, you know, going about your day. And yeah, I mean, I've certainly had times where like my anxiety is like, like peaked, like no other. And, you know, I, I, I find myself questioning, like, why, why am I getting like these kinds of thoughts of like, you know, meaning and having to feel like I have some kind of connection to something It's like, do I have to, does everything have to have a meaning to it? You know, yeah. it's, I mean, this is a very, like this conversation can go in a lot of different ways, but I'll, you know, I'm just being real, like, you know, anxiety and, and depression and things like that, they are absolutely real demons that people are facing every day. And as cliche as it is, I think it's actually very important and, and healthy to be not only communicating about it, but just to feel like you can actually voice it without somebody thinking that, oh, you know, that person's a walking train wreck, you know, like they, yeah. there's, ju- there's judgment and things like that. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's considered sometimes I think still to this day, like a sign of weakness when, when somebody is being very transparent with their mental health. It's uh, yeah. I, th- I think we've yeah. gotten a lot at it. Cause I think, I think people recognize that like, especially during the know, pandemic. Yeah. It's like, we're in a new generation now. Like the, like the, those baby boomers are so like their catchphrases up and get used to live your life. And like, you can, that, that can work for some people, but I think it like, I think communicating with people about your issues and communicating with people 
what is getting you down in life, even if your life is going great, I think is really helpful. And I think it's helpful in understanding your own mind because like sometimes I say these things about feeling and how I'm depressed or how I'm questioning certain things in my life or whatever it may be. Like, I, I don't know what that actually means. I don't, I don't know what conclusion I've come to from the feelings that I've had in my life. Expressing those feelings to other people kind of helps me a little solidify what is going on in my head and actually how to like deal with certain things that I don't I, like, I don't know how to deal with. So I think you're, I think you're right that talking, talking with people about things like this is very important. And it's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this movie because yeah. like, this this is the conversation I wanted to get to because it's something I thought about so much when I watched this movie was just yeah. the inc- internal conflict with myself and kind of seeing that with Anthony Bourdain and seeing his conflict mm-hmm. I think was just portrayed so well and just being able how he dealt with his issues how he was able to deal with those issues and I was just able to see so much of my own issues with that yeah. and just being able to sort of put pieces together of why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling in my life you know well I think for for um for Bourdain, they alluded to this, and I, I think he may have, maybe he said it directly, but the documentary definitely touches on the fact that a lot of people came to the conclusion that he had imposter syndrome, where, you know, he always was never really, like, thinking he should be even famous. Like, he's like, I don't, I don't, I'm not deserving of any of this. And you could attribute some of that to, you know, lack of self-esteem or depression or any one of these things that we've talked about. But I don't know. I mean, do you, do you, what do you think about people that, you know, get that type of imposter syndrome or, or, or have you ever experienced, you know, moments of that? I definitely still experience, I wouldn't say that's a big issue for me these days. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I, one of the things I like myself is that I'm confident in myself. Like that is, you that are is a confident my, man. I know that. That is one of my <laughs> traits that I like about me. And I could see he was definitely struggling with that confidence. I mean, maybe that's part of, becoming famous like it's so much more difficult to deal with something like that yeah i i don't know i think imposter syndrome's tough because you, like being too confident leads to you just being a complete asshole and not humble yeah at all. so you gotta you gotta find the middle ground of being humble but not so much where it's have no self-worth you have no belief in yourself and i don't know if necessarily what the 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 strike was for anthony bourdain is what made him commit suicide but you're right that was definitely a factor and maybe maybe that has to do with just the fact of who he is as a person maybe that has the fact that he was running from home all the time who really knows but well what's your take on the imposter syndrome thing jordan well it's it's a relatable feeling i i think some people maybe lean into that side more more often than not um Especially, I think, like when you experience success, that's probably when you feel that type of uh, of a feeling, you know, the most is like when like you're you're at the height of a of a success or you're peaking at something. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's very easy to look inward on yourself and just be like, like, gosh, like I'm like, like, wow, like you're you know you're you're amazed that like it's happening, but at the same time, you're like, like, is it, you know, am I really getting this? Like. You know, I kind of like faked it till I made it. Like, does you yeah. know, do, do people realize that? Like, <laughs> I, I think there's a lot of feelings like that that can happen. I, you know, I, I can say for myself, uh, I definitely am very mindful of of arrogance. I think, and and sometimes yeah. I think for myself, I've had experiences where 
maybe I've been a bit too mindful of that. And it's come across like I'm not confident on something because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just, I really don't, I'm not really, uh, I don't gravitate towards people that are boastful, that, that talk about themselves that are very, you know, narcissistic and, and self-centered like that. It's something that's always kind of been a turnoff, uh, for me. And I don't really want to be that way myself. So it's a tricky balance, like you said, because like there are times where you you do need to show confidence in yourself and 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 be proud of the work that you have produced on something and, and take ownership of it. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I guess like where I'm at in my life right now, I, I'm learning that you can still do that and still be humble about it. Like it's okay to to do it. I think the key is just not being long-winded about it when you're asked about like something that you did well. Just don't like don't go on, you know, yeah. keep, understand keep it, there's other people simple. in the world, you know, yeah. you're not the center of the world, you know, no, you're not the center of the world. I'm not the center of the world, but I'm just a normal dude. Like, Hey, I'm, I'm me, you know, it's like, what, what do you expect me to do? Something that I wouldn't do. My name is Adam wall. You no, know? <laughs> I don't know, dude. So, so I know you, ha- you had touched on this earlier when we were talking about, uh, you know, traveling to different places and, and all the different places that you had listed off. And I, I believe you said Vietnam actually for one. And I wanted to talk about Vietnam actually, because, uh, specifically because of in the heart of darkness and apocalypse now, and, and that connection that, that Anthony Bourdain had to it. I don't know how familiar you are with, with heart of darkness, or if you, I mean, have you seen apocalypse now? That's the more common one. I honestly have not sure. I'm not going to lie. I'm not, I'm not the movie guy in the world. What is, what is apocalypse now? Describe to me apocalypse now. Okay, so I'm gonna try my best to. I probably won't do a great job, but I'm not gonna Google it because I just want to give you my honest, raw thought of of Apocalypse Now. Um, okay. So it was, I believe it was made in like the in the 70s at some point. I don't recall when, but Francis Ford Coppola made it, and <clears throat> excuse me, Francis Ford Coppola made it, and it was arguably like the height of his career when he made it. I mean, he had made like the Godfather, Godfather part two. Um, he was a very prolific and, you know, very, very powerful director. I mean, like he, he was like making like the really serious, like thought provoking movies back then. And mm-hmm. apocalypse now was his take on the Vietnam war and specifically what it does to people like on a, on a, primal level i guess is how i would interpret it because the movie is about it it follows a i think he's like a lieutenant like in the army or he he gets recruited by like the cia and like some type of black ops mission but the guy's played by martin sheen um Mm -hmm. you know uh martin sheen's amazing by the way okay um but anyway he he gets recruited to by his own government to go in and and assassinate a a well-regarded colonel in the military who went deep into the heart of Vietnam and essentially lost his mind. At least that's what they tell you. They're like, he, he lost his marbles. He is doing stuff without our authorization. We have no idea what he's doing. He's completely disconnected from society. Like, like we think he's trouble. Like you need to go in and eliminate him. And, and it's very, it's a, it's a deep movie and it's, it's, it's a long movie to watch, but essentially you you follow Martin Sheen and you go along with him and and this uh the squad of of uh of other people in the army and they kind of slowly get closer into the heart of Vietnam 
And by the time they get to Colonel Kurtz, which is played by Marlon Brando, mm-hmm. um, they're so far removed from society. I mean, like it is purely like there, there is no, there's no rules. There's no government. Like there's, yeah. I mean, it's, just... it's like animals. I don't want to say it like that, but I mean, like it's, it's like men in nature. And so anyways, I, I'm not, I may not be saying this right, but the movie is, huh. is a, it's, it's looking into like the idea of what happens when you completely remove yourself from any known civilization and what you learn about yourself in the process, like from a purely oh. sensory, like, you know, just total psychological place. And you think it's that's a, the, and you think that's how Anthony Bourdain feels because he's seen the world that he has. I think he traveled awful. I mean, an awful lot. And I, I have to imagine that when you've traveled to the extent that somebody like him is, and you're constantly in the mindset of being a a seeker of truth, like you're trying to find meaning in things. Mm I, I don't know. It's, it's my opinion that he probably would not be afraid to, to go deep into travel you know, because they talk about that in the documentary, too. It's like travel is not just always going to see the sights and eating the food. It's like you're going for an experience. You are going to to learn things about yourself and and try new things and discover things that you had no idea about. And I don't know. I think from what I can tell, I mean, he had a connection to it partly because of his age. Um, you know, he was alive around around Vietnam and, and whatnot. So. I'm sure he has a lot of memories of that. Of course, he, you know, Apocalypse Now, he he got to probably see it in, in theaters for all I know. Yeah. Um, and but then in Heart of Darkness, that's what Apocalypse Now is based off of. And I, I believe it's a it's a famous novel, I want to say. Okay. Um, but anywho, I, I would definitely recommend Apocalypse Now. But I guess I, I'm. Where, I'll check it I, out. Well, Next I podcast ta- we could talk about. That's right. Where <laughs> I tie it back to to Vietnam, though, is uh I don't know. I mean, like, would you ever, you think you would ever find yourself traveling, like, like trying to remove yourself so far away from reality that you're just like, I just want to see what happens. I mean, you talked about your love of nature, but I mean, it's like, how deep into those woods are you going to go? I guess I've never like seen something like that. And like, but you're right. And like, I don't know if I would go somewhere like a war zone. Yeah. Or, like, like I know in the movie, to the Congo like I personally would not want to go there I don't know if I want to experience that experience yet in my life like I'm not I'm not confident enough in the world that I know to a world like that that's just it's probably sad to places like that unbelievably sad I'm sure and just like yeah. seeing things and being like well this is this this is the world you know this is a part of the world where things like war go on where things like exploitation are constantly going on know if i would do something like that and i think that's probably something that he anthony bore did quite a few times and mm-hmm. probably did not help him in the long run going to places like that well yeah I, I don't know i mean like i so i actually have pulled this this story i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna cite this in just a moment because i i think it's it's going to make sense with the point i'm trying to come across on here okay but i don't know i i guess for like when i think about you know, travel and having an experience. There are, I think, certain types of experiences that are out there that you could have that could scare you. That you you may, you know, you might be terrified. You you might discover things about yourself that you didn't even know existed. And 
I just feel like for Anthony Bourdain, he's such a he's such a well-renowned person. He understands all these different cultures, but I also do think that he was deeply introspective. And I don't know. I guess I sometimes wonder like if there is a danger in the mind of somebody that maybe has, you know, struggles with some kinds of demons to, you know, quote unquote, dig too deep. I mean, yeah. do, you, do you understand what I mean by that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like you get really in your head on things. Like you really, you're searching really deep inside and you, you I don't know. Can you dig too deep? I understand where you're going with that. I don't know if I fully agree. Yeah. Cause I feel like, I don't know. Like, I'm not saying like, I, I agree one way or another. I just think it's interesting to, to think about. I don't. Yeah. I feel like being exposed to a new, like a, okay, well, let's say hypothetical. Let's, let's make a hypothetical here, Jordan, right? Yeah. Let's say you're thrown head into an alien race. Like you don't, you know, absolutely not on a different planet like there's there's nothing remotely human about it do you think that's diving too deep no do you think do you think you could go insane if you do something like that i don't know maybe and i think that's what i'm kind of that's what i was also trying to get at too is that in apocalypse now specifically i mean the character of kurtz marlon brando is arguably insane i mean he he experienced something or he had ptsd from war or a combination of things and lost his mind yeah i don't know i just i find it really fascinating people that get to a point like that i don't think anthony bourdain did but i think he had a fascination with people that explored their psyche like that it's it's very it's very interesting yeah, he's a, Anthony Bourdain is an interesting guy. I, I knew this was going to be an interesting episode, my friend. This is a, this is an interesting episode, Jordan. I'm glad I got to watch Apocalypse Now. Now you described it very well, yeah. or you you made you've made me think. Now you've kind of caught me off guard here because now there's a lot of things going through my head. And I don't know what to think of it. I think you would like it. I mean, knowing I'm, no, knowing, I'm, I'm going to watch it now. So yeah, you, well, you've convinced me. I would happily do an episode on it. I mean, I think it's I think it's a great movie um, for a lot of different reasons. It's not exactly one I would go back and rewatch a lot, but it it sticks with you. So okay. Well, but, I love those kind of movies. So let me, so, I'm, so I'm let, me now. let me mention this though, because this is a story I was actually going to read. I was going to read this off here because it it made me think of of Anthony Bourdain and and like his search for for meaning and purpose and and maybe if he did dig too deep on something. Um, I don't remember if they were, if they stated this in the documentary, but, uh, have you, do you know the story of Icarus? Yeah. You know, don't fly too yeah, close the, to the sun. Don't go fly too close to the sun. Yeah. 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 So I, I had to Google it a little bit, um, you know, cause I had heard the expression, but I kind of actually wanted to like read into like what the story actually meant. And, mm-hmm. and the story, just for those of you that don't know, it's it's a story based in Greek mythology, and it's talking about how Icarus he, he's the son of a master craftsman uh, named named Daedalus. I may not I Daedalus, be saying yeah. that right, mm-hmm. um, and and that is the creator of uh, the labyrinth. And and Icarus and Daedalus they they tend to escape the city uh, called a, a crate, I think it is, uh, by means of wings that Daedalus he he constructed it from like a variety of different types of feathers and wax and that kind of thing um but anyways uh daedalus he he warns icarus uh 
first a complaint of complacency i think if i'm complacency i don't know if i'm saying that right and then of hubris and instruction that if you fly neither too low or no too high you know you'll be okay but icarus is like well like you know i don't care what you're saying and he ends up flying too close to the sun causing his wings to melt and and therefore he tumbles out of the sky and and you know drowns in, yeah. in the ocean and it's a sad tale yeah, I mean, it's a sad tale. Uh, it's a cautionary tale, I suppose. There's a lot of different things you could take from that. But I don't know. I, I guess Anthony Bourdain's life, in a way, reminded me of that story a little bit. Uh, because I, I feel like he was always in danger of that, just because he he kind of lived out on the edge. I mean, some of the places he went to, I went to Libya once. You know, he was there around, like, Benghazi and things like that. I mean, he would go to some pretty dicey places. Yeah. Um, so you think hubris is that what you're saying is because I, I always thought Icarus I'd, was based on hubris. I'd have to I'd have to double check it. I'll be honest, I'm not okay. a Greek I'm not a Greek mythology expert, but I did. I mean, a, you could I, take, did, I did a little bit of homework. You could you could take it a lot of different ways, but I've always seen Kid Icarus or like Icarus. Uh, he had too much hubris, too confident well, now, in himself. Is that he, what that means? Hubris, hubris is another word for confidence, right? Like they're they're very very full, full arrogance arrogance like yeah i i got this figured it out and then they fly too close to the sun i think that that's where the expression comes from i think right i i, think I honestly so. could well, be totally wrong i could be totally wrong there who really hey knows, I, i'm surprised that's, that's i take though i'm surprised i sounded halfway decent talking about icarus so i was like yeah like you know that's not that sound right when i said it okay <laughs> daedalus dude daedalus so He's a cool guy so the the last subject that i wanted to talk about in here this is you know this is going to be the hardest one we've been dancing around it but i i want to talk just strictly about suicide okay um this, this is a serious one you should start yeah i'll start um well first it it's again i i've said it multiple times in this i don't think i need to reiterate again that it's tragic what happened with bourdain and that he did it um I think, you know, in hindsight, looking back on it and, and the, the impact it had, I mean, I, I do feel like his suicide in particular, it had an impact, uh, you know, he, he had a pretty big following of people. And I mean, outside of just his celebrity and people being sad that he was gone, I think I saw that there was a lot of conversations that got started around, you know, reignited about mental health issues and, and things like that. And I, I think those conversations are always going around, but when someone famous passes away from it, 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 it tends to, you know, put them back in the spotlight, kind of similar to when Robin yeah. Williams uh, ended up doing it. I think it's, yeah, I think especially the way Anthony Bourdain lived his life is what particularly brought it to the front where it's like, you could do all these crazy things, but that right. like, doesn't necessarily mean anything sometimes well it i think one of the very first things you think about when you're talking about suicide is especially if you have the the, the personal connection is you always are wondering why and it's the maddening question because unless the person was kind enough and maybe not kind enough is the right word but they, they you know if they leave a note they they record a video they just straight up tell you why I have a feeling that doesn't happen all that often. So a lot of people, family and friends, they're left wondering why somebody does it. Um, you know, 
to ask to ask you i mean like and again if this gets too dark you know like i said i mean i'm perfectly happy to you know to to not get super into it i understand because it's not something a lot of people are always comfortable about talking about but no yeah um i don't know did you ever wonder why people do it i've always thought that the biggest factor is being alone i think and that's not necessarily mean like oh they don't have a mother and father or oh they don't have any friends that could just mean like they don't feel a connection with anyone else or they don't yeah they don't have that sort of like i've always thought it's just the alone thing of like if i am like completely alone in this world and no one else understands me and no one can like see what i'm seeing or think the way that i think then that's that's what would put i think someone over the edge personally because like i think i think most people understand that committing suicide like has so many impacts on especially the people that are closest to you and people that you form the like the closest connections with Mm -hmm. i think that's a big thing that turns people off from suicide is understanding that like well, wait, I have these people in my life that care for me and that want that want like what's best for me. Right. And I think not being able to see that, whether that be a fog, whether that not even be there in the first place, whatever yeah. it may be, I think that is what at the end of the day causes someone to commit suicide. It's just that feeling of loneliness and then that feeling of not having someone to go to time of like need. Yeah, and that that's not necessarily mean like I called someone and they didn't pick up. That could just more mean like I'm in this mental state and I can't. I feel completely alone in this mental state, and I feel like no one that I talk to is going to understand my mental state or is going to be able to help me with what's going on in my life. So then I'm just going to kill myself because what does it matter? I think that's what does it at the end of the day. I think Mm -hmm. you could really see that in Anthony Bourdain too. Of like there were people that were trying to reach out to him. There were people that were trying to help him. But I think you're just so bogged by whatever it may be that what really makes you want to do it at the end is that feeling of loneliness and that feeling of having no one to turn to. Yeah, I mean... What's your take, Jordan? You can speculate a lot of different reasons for why. I mean, and I, I think... I mean, you said it earlier on in this, but you know, the human mind is so so complex and there's still so much i think that we're learning about it even still to this day you know people develop differently their their backgrounds are different you know the age that you do it is going to be different as well it it all plays a factor um but you know i i think you know loneliness of course yeah i I mean sure you know if somebody's really lonely they feel like they don't have someone to reach out to i think that's a you know a perfectly i'm careful to say a valid reason but a, a a reason that i would understand if someone if someone did it um but i don't know i i think for myself when i think about it i think about uh, it's hard to put in the words honestly because i i wish i was you know more more well versed in in this subject for for talking about just psychologically speaking Mm -hmm. um but i don't know I, i i think when you when you had touched on talking about like the the mental fog or you know a a weight on your mind i think sometimes people do it because it's like an act of desperation like because i've like myself like i have experienced depression as i'm sure a lot of other people have I, i've taken medication for it mm-hmm. and i understand when you have like a powerful heavy feeling 
that that weighs so heavily on your mind that like even the notion of it's not like you're afraid to talk about it but it's like even the notion of of really unpacking it seems like a daunting task and like it's just it's like it's almost it's it's the most exhausting for the person that has to do it because it takes i think a lot of strength to to really face those uh those parts of yourself and really get it out of you whether it's talking about it or, or journaling about it um you know art there's a lot of different ways i think that people can express it and and get that th- those demons out so that it's not eating them and ultimately leading them to the act but mm-hmm. i don't know i see i see a lot of it as just desperation that people are they they're they're, men- they're mentally rooted in a spot that they don't feel like they can talk about it they don't have the strength to do it the inner will Mm-hmm. Um, and, and of course, I mean, that's, this isn't even like accounting for people that have heavy alcohol abuse or, or drugs or are addicts because I mean, people, people do that just cause they're, they're zonked out. Like they're, oh, they're, yeah. they're messed up out of their minds. So they don't even know like what's going on. That, that's a whole different subject, but that's a whole different subject. Yeah. yeah um, I can, you know, the, the, you know, last thing I'll say about that is. This, this is dark, but I mean, I don't always wonder sometimes because life is hard and the the rates are pretty, pretty staggering when you look at suicide. I, I think when I was looking at it recently, I think it saw it's like still like the 10th leading cause of death in the United States. And I think I also saw that uh, like, like 130, like 130 people, I think, do it like every minute or something like that. Mm. Like if you break yeah. it down from like a numbers game, I don't know. Um, I get a lot of thoughts too, man. Like I, I, I've had, I've had dark thoughts and like, I'll, I've, I've joked about the subject of suicide before. And, you know, I, I say context is everything for stuff like this. I, th- I think, I don't think it's like a subject like that's like off limits to like have a joke about. I think it's just all about the context and the meaning of it and, and kind of what you're getting at. Um, Anyways, my, my point with all that is, is that I, I guess I get it because I'd be lying if I said I never had like a dark, messed up thought about about doing stuff. Never, never yeah. saying I've acted on it, but I get it. I mean, it's not yeah, it's yeah, not no. it's really not shocking. I mean, I, I, I get why some people do it. I, I get it. Doesn't mean I, I like it. I, it's it's very sad. It's heartbreaking. I personally, yeah, I, I fully understand because I feel like I've, I've had similar things like I can very much see where someone's coming from, where they want to decide. Yeah. Like I've been, I've had bad parts of my life and there's been at those times, like when there's no other options, it's like, well, that's, that seems like a pretty good option. And some like, once that's like an all right option, then it's like, Oh my God, like I'm actually thinking about this at this point. And like, that's why, that's why for me, I say the loneliness is such a big factor. Cause like one of the biggest things preventing me from even like considering something like that is just yeah. the people, the people that I have in my life. Right. Knowing that someone to turn to when something like that comes up and not having that like mental fog or that block to be like, there are people in my life that love me. And there's always someone that I can turn to if things are dark enough. And there's always someone I can trust having that in my life as like, if I didn't have that, like that yeah. would suicide would definitely be a much bigger issue i think in my life if i didn't have something like that so that's why i say loneliness is i think such a big factor because yeah it's been such a helpful thing for me to have is just people in my life that i could talk to about my issues and people that i can like people that love me you know 
that's that's what's helped me get through it. But I, I completely understand where you're coming from too, where it's like I see what Anthony Bourdain has lived through, and I, I honestly like I'm not I'm I'm still like sad at the fact that he committed suicide. Yeah. But you also kind of see a little bit like why it happened, like going through his life. It's like, this yeah, I mean the like, the guy had demons, the, the, the guy, guy had, like, big big demons, yeah. Like he, the guy is incredibly depressing. He just like he had people to turn to, but he's just maybe it was just too far beyond that point where like he couldn't yeah. get any help, or there was no one that he could think of that would help him. So well, it's like I just I kind of see where he's coming from, and it's like ah, commit suicide. Fuck, I don't want to that way but well i i you know i i do think that you know the the lot the very last thing i would say about bourdain is that uh, you know it's it's very tragic what happened and i i i think i if anything i probably became a bigger fan of him sadly in his passing than i did when he was alive i mean i i learned more about him after he left than than when he was living which even i i think about that and i'm like that's kind of messed up a little bit that it's like I'm now like listening and, and watching clips of somebody that's no longer with us and like I'm still entertained by it in a way but still fascinated and engaged it's uh it's very strange it's just very strange when, like when you're watching that but I I guess what I when I think you know ultimately about his life I mean I I do think like how fortunate he was to have left behind a legacy like he did I mean, I think he really impacted a lot of people's life just through his authenticity, through his work, through his travels. Like he shined a spotlight on a lot of different places and he never came off as like being like a cookie cutter, like food network reality TV guy. Like he he was pretty down and dirty, whether you liked him or not. And Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, it's it's awful what happened to him, but I hope he's at peace, you know, wherever he's at. And I think it's just he and his family and friends, I think should be so fortunate to have known that his legacy has, is, is mattered to so many people and, has, and, 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 and as far reaching impact. as it is. Yeah. I mean, like that's, I mean, I don't know. I mean, like if I were to, if I were to die tomorrow, I don't think I'm having a documentary about me made. <laughs> probably <laughs> not, not. No, like I probably <laughs> not like, uh, it'll have a big impact on my life though, Jordan. Well, that, that's, that's so nice. if that makes you feel if that makes you feel any better, it'll probably have a bigger impact than Anthony Bourdain would. Don't don't do that, George. Stop it. Hey, hey, hey! I you know pos- I love pos- positivity. I love you too, positivity. man. Positivity. That's yeah. right. We this we, is we, this we is a great podcast, George. This is good. This is a great podcast. So uh, I will I will start to wrap this up. There's one more thing I wanted to ask from you because I know I actually don't know how long we've been talking. This might be one of the longer episodes that I got. Um, when someone does do it and you don't have to go super in depth on this, but, you know, after somebody commits suicide and, you know, they're gone, I'm just curious. I mean, like, do you really think that there ultimately is a way to move forward? Or, I mean, like, I I think there's like for, or is there like forever damage done from, from the act and like, it stays with you forever. You know, it's like time doesn't heal all things. I wouldn't say if something as serious as that goes on in your life, I wouldn't time heals all things is I guess the short answer to something that I would think, but like really it's so much more complicated than that. Cause I'd like, I do think if you have such a strong life, life event, like something like that, like a very close friend of yours committed suicide, like that's something you will never forget for your entire life. And 
it's going to hurt and there's nothing that's going to stop the hurting, but you kind of just, I feel like you would just put it in the back of your mind as it gets like 10 years down the road, or you sort of start to come to grips with what happened and you try to just move on from it and live your own life. But I don't think it necessarily heals. It just kind of becomes part of who you are, you know? Yeah. Like you kind of just suck it in. Like it's, it's this hole in your life or it's this twist in your brain or whatever it is. And it's never, it's never going to leave. Like, you mm-hmm. can adapt your life and you can live your life to it changes you not not like think about it constantly and not act on that specific event constantly, but it changes who you are as a person i think very much so yeah yeah i think you're right um you know i i, I actually promise i would i would end the the episode actually with this but on a perfectly serious note as if we weren't already serious enough on this if anybody out there that is listening ever does actually have um, any any you know bad thoughts or, or real issues with the subject of suicide or has ever considered it, um, I'm not treating this as a as a you know public service announcement, but um, you can contact the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. Uh, the number is one 273 8255 Again, that's one 273 uh, 8255. So definitely call that if you ever were so inclined to, um, or at the very least, just reach out to someone, even if it is not somebody that's a close friend, because believe me, people care. And most anybody, I don't even care if you're not a well-liked person, nobody that I can think of in their right mind would really wish that upon somebody's life to end that way. So no, Sorry to end it like that. I, I kind of figured that this would happen with this with this you know episode and and the content, but it's it's really you know just it's a, it's a serious subject. But I mean, at the same time, like I kind of go important back thing to, to talk. It's important well, it's an important thing to, thing to talk about. But also, I want to I want to make this clear too. It's like I I think you you can still you can still crack a joke about it every once in a while. Damn it, because I agree. Yeah. Because like, I mean, like, that's the thing, like you can get really serious and and self-righteous on a subject like this, but it's like, you know what? I've laughed about it before. And sometimes laughter helps. Okay. That's make me, I don't think it makes me a bad person. Yeah. If it, if it helps, you can, here's another humor point is if you're feeling that way as well, you can find me on Facebook and send me a message and I'll talk to you. There you go. Adam will be your friend. I'll be your friend. Adam Wall on Facebook. Find you'll, me. You'll have, me. To, you'll have to let me know if like after the fact, like be like, hey, ever since we put out that episode, <laughs> like, like 20 people, people, dude. <laughs> <laughs> oh my dude, gosh. It, it uh, could happen. Who knows? Well, um, everybody, that's gonna wrap up the the episode. So Adam, I, I appreciate you being here. This was a, a longer conversation, but I I I really actually thoroughly enjoyed talking about this movie um this documentary and just talking about something true that's you know entirely based in reality i mean it's just it's just real life it's uh it's it's i think it makes for just compelling content anyways i appreciate you coming along the ride with me it was a powerful movie thank you for having me jordan this is a great conversation